0: This episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. The demands of HR and payroll are endless. And that's why Zenium provides a complete solution for both so you can focus on what you do best, which is growing your organization. Learn more about Zenium at zeniumhr.com. In today's episode, I sit down virtually with Jill Duffy, the author of The Everything Guide to Remote Work. And just as the title of the book explains, we're talking about everything regarding remote work, how to support people, how to communicate with them, how to set up our office space to maximize our productivity as a remote worker. So whether or not you're working remotely or you support people working remotely, there's so much to glean from this conversation and subject matter about how do we maximize our productivity and how as employers as leaders supporting people who work remotely how do we go about communication and how do we go about supporting our people in the best way possible to maximize their at-home work time so i hope you enjoyed today's episode with Jill Duffy i got a lot out of this conversation let me know what you think reach out to me on linkedin twitter instagram any of those places i'd love to connect with you and feel free to direct message me as well have a great week And we'll talk to you next Tuesday. I've got a really great episode coming up next Tuesday. So I'm excited to have you listen to that one too. Enjoy it. And we'll talk to you next week. Jill, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: We're going to talk about your new book, which by the time we release this will probably be out, but it's the the everything guide to remote work. This is so needed right now. And I think I even told you a few minutes ago before we started recording that I wish I had this two years ago when like a lot, like me, like a lot of people went remote in I think it was March of 2020. So what was the idea behind this book? Like, why did you decide to write this one?
1: I have been writing about remote work for a little while now, probably since, I don't know, maybe 2015, 2016 or so. It's something that I've done. It's something people I work with have done before the pandemic. And I kind of saw a lot of new companies coming up that were starting all remote. So they would, you know, a handful of people would found a company, they would hire on new employees and they'd be all remote. Um, So that's how I kind of got into the subject matter. And the more I wrote about it, um, the more I was curious to talk to other people who were doing it. What was different for them? What was working for them? Is it only in the tech industry? Who else is working remotely? I had lots of questions. So I just kept writing about it and then Simon and Schuster actually reached out to me and said there's a big need for a book on remote work. You want to write one and I was I said yes, absolutely. And that was after the pandemic, of course. So it was an interesting time to be thinking about how remote work has changed and how the people who are experiencing it now aren't experiencing the same situation that other remote workers had been in before the pandemic. It really is different now. So that's just been super interesting to watch that play out and to cross my fingers and hope that things eventually level out to the kind of benefits we had before as remote workers.
0: For this book in particular, what types of remote work do the ideas in this one apply to? So like, you know, fully remote or hybrid, like what would you consider it uh, applying to?
1: All of it. All of it. One of the things I say early on is that there's no one thing that is remote work. If you are the only person who works remotely with a team of people who work in a central location, that counts. If everybody in an organization works remotely, that counts. If you are a solo entrepreneur and you work from home and you don't have a dedicated other office space that counts. You know, people like accountants and writers and journalists and musicians have all been working more or less remotely in the sense that they're not working from a central location with other people for centuries. Like, it's not really all that new to think of people who work in a space that is not a centralized workspace. And hybrid workers too, which we're seeing more of now, but I think it was more common than a lot of people let on for a long time. We just didn't have the word hybrid to describe it. You know, you would have somebody like your boss would say, I work from home on Fridays or people would say, I'm traveling and taking vacation days, but I'm going to be online on Monday and Friday, for example. So that's all remote work. There's just so many different ways that it can happen.
0: Since you've been writing about remote work for some time now, from your perspective, what are some high level pros and cons of working remotely?
1: A lot of it has to do with the person, their personality, and the job that they're doing. So I think when we see a good fit in the person, the personality, and the job that they're doing, the benefits can be autonomy. That's a big one. You are left to work how you want, when you want, and where you want to a much, much greater degree. For some people, it's 100% Autonomous. For some people, there may be more restrictions, but generally speaking, you have a little bit more autonomy in what you do, how you do it. We know from a lot of research that the more autonomy workers have, the more likely they are to be productive as well as to have loyalty to the organization they work for. So that's a that's a benefit, not just for the worker, but really for the employer too. Another benefit is that you can be friends with your actual friends and you don't necessarily have to be friends with people in your workplace. Again, this comes down to like a personality issue. Not everybody likes this, but some people have a really hard time going into workplaces especially if it's dominated by people who are not like them, who don't share their ideas.
0: Yeah, I get that. They
1: don't want to necessarily be friends and friendly with everybody. Um, And remote work gives you so much more time and flexibility to see your friends and your family and have lunch with people that you know and you like. For child care, elder care, pet care, all kinds of care, remote work usually gives a lot more flexibility and that's a pro but it's it's also for some people very hard to balance so i want to i want to say like it's 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 a pro when looked at comparatively that when you have to go into a workplace with other people you physically can't be around to help take care of others and when you work from home you can so it's a benefit but it's not a perfect situation some of the cons i find the biggest one is people who are extroverted have a very hard time when they work by themselves. So this is something we've seen in the pandemic is that when working remotely, we've come to think of it as working from home solo. So maybe you have kids in the house, maybe you have a partner or roommates or other people around you, but there still tends to be a feeling of isolation for certain types of people. I would say that the balance to that is in a normal world, when we can go out and mingle, you can join a co-working space, you can work from a coffee shop, you can work with other friends of yours who are remote workers and you don't have to be alone. But the pandemic has really thrown a wrench into that. And then just to give you one more con, I would say there are a a lot of people who like the rhythm of a daily routine and commuting. They find that commuting gives them an ability to ramp up and get ready for work, have a routine that like leads them into it, have a purpose when other people's eyes are seeing them in the chair, um, they feel a little bit more accountable for showing up on time. And then the same with going home, they like to the wind down, you leave the workspace, you leave the work behind, you have a period of time, even if it's a short commute, to kind of readjust and get back into a different mindset. And those people tend to have a hard time figuring out how to create boundaries at home mm-hmm. that you them the same effect
0: yeah you know in talking with a lot of people about remote work it does seem like every remote work environment is not necessarily created equal and I'm thinking if people are considering like maybe they're interviewing with an employer about a remote work a remote first position what are some questions that they should ask or or even some perks and benefits that are offered from your perspective that people should be asking about to make sure it's a a good fit for them I don't know if that's probably an easy one to unpack but I'm sure there's some high level things that you would say like these are the must-haves
1: yeah yeah The benefits coming out of all remote or remote first companies are huge. A lot of them have gravitated toward an unlimited paid time off policy. And these kinds of policies have pros and cons to them as well. But let me just first explain what it is. So unlimited time off means instead of having a set number of vacation days that you earn or accrue as your time goes on, you can take the time off that you need as long as your manager usually approves it. That means if you are comfortable and happy taking off four weeks out of the year, five weeks out of the year, that's probably going to be allowed. If you only take off two weeks in the year, that's your business. The problem with unlimited paid time off is sometimes the culture of the company doesn't actually support it. So people tend to take less vacation than they should. So in a remote job interview, I would say ask how many days on average people tend to take off, especially if it's an unlimited paid time off policy. Find out, is it a culture where people are really supported taking that time off. And sometimes one of the ways you can find out is is, uh, whether the highest level people in the company take time off.
0: Oh yeah, that's a good one. Do they
1: take parental leave when they have children? Yeah, did they take their vacation time? Do they shut off completely when they take vacation? Because if if it's happening at the highest level, you know it's going to be supported at the employee level too. I think that's a good one. Another thing you should ask is, you know, how geographically spread out is the team, because you want to know what hours are you going to be required to work? So, if you have a team where people are all over the world, you might find that the company has a policy, you know, once a week, we have a big meeting, it's optional, and it's held at such and such time. And you can get a sense of where people are, how many people in the world are, you know, in one time zone versus another, based on when those meetings will take place. Some companies will have a policy that say, no, we need you to work very specific hours. And depending on the type of job, that might be a requirement. You know, if you're doing a support type job, if you're answering help emails or help phone calls, for example, you might be required to work certain hours, but you shouldn't go in assuming you know what those hours are. So definitely ask about that. I would also say another good thing to ask about is whether there are any times when the team is expected to get together. In person? Yeah. Beyond just general business travel, is there a team Meeting? Is there an all-company meeting? How often does it happen? How is the location chosen? If I decided to attend, it would well, first of all, would it be mandatory for me to attend? And if I were to attend, could I bring my family with me? Is, is there any sort of allowance for childcare, for example, if I have to attend these things. So these are good things to think about, I think. Um, this is beyond you know your typical job interview questions about the core work itself. This is sort of like, how do things run for you guys? How do you work? How do you expect me to work and fit in? And the nice thing is a lot of remote first companies make this kind of information public. So if you have a job interview with a company that's all remote, definitely go out and try to research them because chances are they've written about this stuff before and you can find out a lot of these answers just by reading their blogs and their website.
0: How do we set our remote workspaces up for success? Like what, I don't know if there's core equipment pieces that you need or a workspace. I would love to hear what your perspective is. And you have tons of great ideas in the book, but I'm just curious, what, like, what are the must-haves from your perspective?
1: So most people who are working remotely have some kind of a computer. That's gonna be the first thing. It's pretty tough to work remotely without being connected in some way so you need, you need a good computer you need a good router and Wi-Fi connection so pay for your internet service pay for a new router don't cheap out on those things
0: no especially the internet piece like I, I think like you need like a what gigabyte speed or something like that especially if you're doing video calls and stuff like I, I think the internet do not cheap out on that.
1: Yeah. That's something that you should pay for. And often it's something you will have to pay for out of pocket. A lot of companies will have a clause saying, you know, you have all the freedom in the world to to work whatever hours you want, to do what you want, but you have to pay for your internet. That's a requirement we have. Um, I've, I have seen other companies sort of offer as a benefit, you know, $50 a month toward your internet or some other, some other kind of token um, to help people pay for it. But yeah, don't cheap out on your internet. Make sure you have a good router. You're gonna need a computer. I would say set up a desk. Have a desk and a chair that you like. The chair doesn't have to be anything expensive. A good back cushion can do wonders. So my setup right now, actually, I'm sitting on a dining room chair. I have a rolling chair Mm. somewhere behind me, but I don't really like it as much. I find that the seating part is a little too short for my legs.
0: interesting. So the dining room
1: chair works for me with a nice cushion. Get yourself uh, an external mouse and keyboard if you're working on a laptop. You can always prop up the laptop with some books or with a laptop riser. That will help make sure that the the screen itself is high enough. You want your eye level to be about hitting the top of the screen for good ergonomics. And then the external keyboard and mouse will just make it all easier on your neck, shoulders, back, hands, wrists. If you do reading on physical paper, you probably need a printer and it's really nice to have a little lamp for that. Um, Something to give yourself a little extra light. If you do a lot of video calls, you will need some kind of a light source. The best, in my opinion, is a window. So if you have a window and lots of good sunlight, great. If not, maybe get a ring light. Maybe think about bouncing a ring light off of a white wall or a white um, sheet of paper, if you don't want to point it directly at your face, that will help. And that's about it. I mean, you can keep it pretty simple. There's more that you could add. And I think decorate your space so that it makes you happy. Put up pictures of people you love, get some plants, whatever it is that makes you comfortable invest in those things. And remember your space isn't static. You can change it at any time. So I think the new year and right around spring cleaning time is a good time to say, let me, let me take stock of what I have. What would make me happier? What would make me more comfortable? And just, just think about making those adjustments as you go.
0: Jill, I'm pretty proud of myself because I've gone the last two years working remotely without having to buy a printer. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) That's one piece of equipment that I've always...
1: I don't know how people get away with it.
0: I've, I've always hated having a printer at home. So it's it's nice that I haven't had to print anything. Everything's so digital for me.
1: Yeah, I, people have told me that and I don't know how they get away with it. I always need to print something.
0: <laughs> of course, yeah. What advice do you have for people who are really trying to find what schedule and routine works for them? So let's say they have autonomy over their schedule and a lot of flexibility with the remote position, like what what kind of schedule and routine should people develop? Because I think that's the the biggest thing for people is they need some sort of structure. That's what, you know, helped when we're going into the office. But now if if people are at home, they should probably have some structure, wouldn't you think?
1: So what I'm going to say might surprise you. I've been thinking about this a lot lately and writing about it a little bit. Your routine can change. So what works for you today, what worked for you a year ago, May not be what works for you tomorrow.
0: Mm. Um,
1: I think a lot of people are looking for that silver bullet answer.
0: Of <laughs> yeah, I was looking for. I was looking for my own. Get up here. at
1: five thirty. Make sure you start promptly at eight. No, 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 no. Getting dressed, deciding what properly dressed for work means anymore. No, no, no. What you need now may not be what you need later. So what I would say is instead of thinking too much about a routine, think about things that are going to help you get started. So for me, I always get started with my work um, after I make a cup of coffee and I usually write my diary for about 20 minutes.
0: Oh, that's nice.
1: And that's kind of... That's my ritual, and other people feel better like they have a shower and they get dressed and they put on their makeup or they do their hair. For me, it's like the cup of coffee kind of signals that the day is now starting. It's gonna, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna get adjusted, I'm gonna get into it. Um, so I think it does help to have some some markers in your day that help you create yeah. time and space barriers between working time and personal time. But I don't think it needs to be a set routine that is always the same. Yeah,
0: like a rigid structure or something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think for a lot of people too, childcare, pet care, elder care, all kinds of care are part of that routine. People will tell me, well, my workday starts after I drop my kids off at daycare or my workday starts after my kids get on the school bus or my workday starts when... Elder care is taken over by somebody else who helps me. So, for those situations, I think usually people know that they have other things in their day that they've got to take care of that kind of create those markers for them. But if you don't have them yet, just find something that you do already anyway, such as have a cup of coffee, walk your dog, you know, whatever it is, um, and try to pin the start of your workday to that to help signal to your brain this is when we start work. And all the other things, you know, how late you sleep, when you get dressed and take a shower, like, some of that can be flexible and it, it can change depending on the season that you're in. If you live in a place that has long, dark winters, <laughs> you might not feel like getting up and taking a shower at 6:30 in the morning. And that's okay.
0: Yeah. I'm in, I'm in Oregon. It's like dark and rainy and cold all the time.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. It's, it's kind of harder to get, Get up and feel like you're getting started when when the weather is darker like that.
0: Yeah. You wrote in the book that remote teams must over communicate. Why do you suggest that?
1: Yes, yes, so important. The reason is when you're working remotely, you don't have all of those other interpersonal moments when you remind people you're going to be on vacation, or they look over and they see that your chair is empty because you're out to lunch. So remote teams are working together; they have to tell each other what they're doing, how they're working, where information is located, multiple times. So you're going to find yourself repeating yourself, being a little repetitive, as I just was there. <laughs> you can say things twice, tell people on Slack or Microsoft Teams, tell them in an, you know on a video call, in a meeting, tell them in an email follow-up, put information on the shared drive or server, whatever you have, put information on a shared whiteboard that you use, put the same information on the team messaging app. Like, Don't be afraid to repeat yourself because people won't see the information the first time around. They may not have heard you, they might forget. So just repeat yourself. And the other piece of over communicating, I think, is just telling people when things are going well. In a physical work environment, in a shared work environment, we know when things are going well because people have an upbeat attitude and the executive team is, you know, high-fiving each other when they come out of Mm -hmm. a meeting Or, you know, it's bagel day is now twice a month instead of once a month because whatever it is. You know, you have all these little markers that tell you things are going well and you have the same kind of information when things are not going well. But when you're working remotely and you're just at your desk in your home or in a co-working space or wherever you work, uh, you don't get all those other signals as easily. So you need people to tell you and you should do the same thing. You know, if your job is going well, tell your manager hey, just wanted to let you know, things are going really well right now. I feel like I really understood my tasks. I think I did this assignment really well. This project came out great. Tell your colleagues, your coworkers, hey, I noticed you had a great comment in the meeting the other day. That was really insightful because they're not gonna see you smiling during the meeting. They're not going to get that other information so you really have to over communicate and that takes time to develop that skill too
0: what tips do you have for being clear and concise in written communication it's do you so hard suggest yeah it is hard and, and i'm constantly trying to get better at it but is there any like tips or tricks that you've come up with over the years
1: i some great video classes online. I think there were a couple of good ones in like LinkedIn Learning and Coursera and Udacity, all about business communication and business writing. So I think if you need like a proper class to help you get oriented, those are some great resources. And I think sometimes video is a lot easier to absorb because you can turn it on and kind of pay attention um, as you're doing something else. Beyond that, I would say, you know, think about the medium where you are writing. So for example, in an email, you can probably be a little bit longer than in a Slack message or a Microsoft Teams message.
0: Oh, but I hate long emails. The long emails kill me.
1: (laughs) Some things to think about though, you know, when you're working remotely, it's less synchronous work, meaning you're working not simultaneously with people all the time. So when you write an email, don't imagine somebody waiting eagerly at the other end on their computer to receive it. You can take a moment, just stop, read it over. Break things up into paragraphs, maybe read it out loud. Think about how the information is grouped. So by that, I mean, is the most important information at the top. If you were to try to put bold on all the really important things, would they be grouped together? Would they be kind of spread out all over the place? And that's something I do a lot, actually. When I type a Slack message to say, hey, whoever needs to know, this is what I'm working on. I'll put the key things in bold to make it easy for them to just glance at the message and see. With email too, like line breaks, paragraph returns, help tremendously. And just make sure that that information is grouped properly. I'll sometimes also reread an email and take out a lot of, hey, how's it going? Hope you're well best wishes happy holidays i try to minimize that stuff a little bit like i want to be nice and personable but if it's already a long message nobody nobody needs those extra three sentences in there
0: Uh, right and i'm i'm with you because like a lot of times i'm trying to you know convey how i'm feeling or emotion in in the email like to be friendly and stuff and a lot of times i'll just put a smiley face or an exclamation point at, at the end of like something that's kind of Matter of fact, sounding by itself. Yeah. But I'll, it, the nice thing about that is it removes all the other fluff that I would like normally put in, like, hey, how's your weekend going? Or, you know, anything like that. That just kind of wastes time. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Emojis, React G, and exclamation points are super, super helpful. Um, and if you feel like you are the person who doesn't like exclamation points, just remember it's not about you, it's about your reader. So if that exclamation point makes your reader feel happy, give it to them.
0: Yep. I love that. So you wrote in the book that remote work is reshaping our meetings. How should we rethink how we structure and collaborate in meetings?
1: I think this is hopefully one way that remote work will make all of work better. In remote work, we really have to think about the time we spend in meetings as being precious. So what that means is, you know, especially if you're working with people who are across different time zones, just physically getting people together on a call, finding a time that works for everybody is tough. And when you think of it that way as like a limited resource, you really wanna make the most of those minutes you have together. So what we can do is sort of think backwards and say, What can we do in the meeting? What would be best done in the meeting when we are spending that time together? And what could we do ahead of time or afterward? So I encourage people, for example, if they're gonna have a brainstorming meeting to provide a way for people to brainstorm in advance of the meeting itself. This might be a shared document, it could be a collaborative whiteboard, whatever it is, give people a place to put down their ideas. This will let them think about the purpose of the meeting, generate their ideas, think about whether their ideas are good, write them down, read everybody else's ideas so that by the time you actually come together for that meeting, that meeting can now be cut probably in half in the amount of time you need. And people will have done much more thoughtful work about it. The other thing it will do is it will allow people who are generally a little bit hesitant to speak up in meetings to take their time and think about what they want to present and present it in a written form, which may be better for them.
0: That is such a good tip. Cause I've, I've run across people who are introverted and they will not speak up in meetings. And I love that idea just giving them a chance to, to write it down in advance. It's that's not great. just
1: introverted people, though. It's, it's also people who are not the best with English language, people who have speech impediments, people who have disabilities. Like It yeah. gives all of those people another way to contribute differently. And the people who want to just contribute in the meeting and just spout off their ideas then, they still can do that if they want to, if that's what works best. But you're now opening up more ways for people to contribute in a more thoughtful
0: manner. Yeah. That's great. Any uh, collaboration tools other than, like you said, a shared document? Do you use uh, like a whiteboard or anything like that virtually that would help, like, kind of structure the meeting in a fun, uh, collaborative way?
1: I'm a big fan of. Miro, M-I-R-O? Yeah,
0: Miro boards. Those are great.
1: Miro is really great. It is a collaborative whiteboard, but it's built to be very simple. So I think the main way people interact is they create sticky notes. Yes. So you can just write on the sticky note, but it's just as did easy. did that for the first
0: time the other day and it was great.
1: You can create images, you can pull in data and have charts, you can pull in videos. And there's a competitor called Mural, M-U-R-A-L, which is nearly as good as... Miro, and it's confusing that their names are very similar. So, the, yeah, those are two that I like a lot. And I, you know, if you use a video calling tool like Zoom, you can also just do a screen share on Zoom and share your whiteboard there. Or I think Miro has an option to have a video call right on the board itself. So, there's ways that you can add additional layers of collaboration.
0: I love that. Let's move on to distractions because this is, uh, probably the biggest thing about remote work from my perspective at least because i've got a dog i've got a couple kids i've got cat like there's just seemingly always a distraction at home which is why i moved to a new house uh where i put my office in the basement but you know for people who are battling distractions all throughout the day for remote work how do people manage those what what suggestions do you have
1: for me i find it's very helpful to take breaks at a scheduled time. I think that's the first thing to do is some distractions you can manage and some you can't manage. Um, And so just allowing yourself an opportunity to take a break is really helpful. There are some techniques out there to manage distractions. And there's the Pomodoro technique for example, there's something similar but unbranded and the name is slipping me right now. But a general idea is that you decide focus sprints, sorry. So focus sprints is what people call
0: yeah, focus sprints. I actually have that as a note to ask you about what are focus sprints, and, you, and you're bringing it up now. That's perfect. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, I think focus sprints and managing distractions, are they, they're hand in hand. So the idea of a focus sprint is um, step one, most important part, decide what you need to do. So pick the task that you need to do and be very clear about what it is. Step two, set a timer. And for that amount of time, it's usually between like 30 and 60 minutes on average. You're going to only work on that task. So you don't have to work on it forever. You don't have to save the day. You just have to work on it for 30 minutes. Keep a piece of paper or a note-taking app by your side. And when a distracting thought, like I should take the laundry out of the washing machine, put it to the dryer, when that thought pops into your head, you don't act on it, you just write it down. So take it, move the laundry, got to buy a birthday present for so-and-so, whatever it is, you know, clean the gutters. You write it down, but you don't act on it. And then you say to yourself, when I'm done with my 30 minutes of focusing, I can do maybe one or two of these things, or I can evaluate that list of things that are distracting me that I want to do, and I can plan a time to do them. So that's a really good one for people who need a lot of structure. I think in general, distractions are going to happen. There are going to be some distractions you can manage and some that you can't. You know, if somebody rings your doorbell with a delivery, you probably need to get up and answer the door if there is repeated noise in your neighborhood, somebody's doing construction, somebody's doing lawn work. One thing I tell people is try to pay attention to when it happens, you know, make a note on your calendar and see if it turns out that lawn mowing day is Thursday and that way, you know, on Thursdays, I'm going to go to the coffee shop for an hour. Yeah. Or, or I'm going to move to a different <laughs> room where I'm going to plan that time for when I process email because I don't need to be super focused and the noise isn't going to bother me when I do that task. So try to plan around it as much as you can. But, you know, that works for some things. And then other kinds of distractions like your roof is leaking. You, you really just need <laughs> to stop and like take care of
0: it. This, um, you know, for employers for that are making the shift to maybe a remote-first environment, I, I think for many employers, they were valuing the hours in the seat over the output and the results. H- how do we make this overall shift? Because I think it's not just an employee thing, but it's a manager thing and an and employer thing. It's like, how do we make this shift to measure the results and output and value that over just like, hey, they're on and they're working nine to five. Like, how do we make that mental shift? Because I think that's the biggest one in remote that might be the toughest.
1: I think people have been trying to solve that problem forever, regardless of whether the job is remote. The best thing you can do as an employee is have a very clear job description. You should know what it is you're there to do. And if somebody in the organization can't tell you that, there's a problem because that's often what drives people to show up and be in a chair for eight hours is the description of what they're supposed to do is not clear. So how do they know if they're doing it? Having goals, you know, whether that is an amount of output you do, some kind of metric that you meet, sometimes that's helpful, but that's not possible in all jobs. And sometimes your employer can have inflated expectations of what a normal person can do in a normal amount of hours. Um, I think the communication piece is super key here. So figuring out what is your job description and if a manager can't give it to you, you know, write your own job description, come up with your own goals and say, this is what I think is reasonable for me, or this is what I think is ambitious for me, and I'm going to do my best to achieve it. But I would say, you know, if I hit 85% of this goal list, I will consider it successful. So if your manager, your leadership is not good about giving you that clear job description, I would say, you know, be proactive and try to make one for yourself, because that's really the only way to do it. If we don't have a clear expectation of what we're supposed to do, How are we supposed to know if we're doing
0: it? I think one of the challenges with remote work seems to be being able to compartmentalize work and life as separate things. It's kind of gray right now. How do you suggest people set boundaries so that they're not feeling like they're always working or always, you know, life is bleeding into their work or vice versa?
1: Yeah, it's super hard. You know, something I read before the pandemic was about the different ways people managed um, time off when they were on vacation and when they were like answering emails and being made available while they're trying to take their time off. So what I found really interesting was there seemed to be a little shift in younger people saying I actually like to have work email on my phone and be accessible to people when I'm taking time off, because that way, when I come back, I don't feel overwhelmed by everything I missed. I don't feel like I've been out of the loop. I don't feel like I was sitting around worrying that something was going on that I needed to take care of. I think as you go into your career, the more experience you have, the more you realize you're not missing out on anything important. You're never going to be needed to dive in and save the day. The organization should be able to run without you. You know, if an organization is put together well, they should be able to run without you. And that people, when they're a little bit older, they want to have more disconnect from their job while they're having their time off. So that was really interesting to me, especially before the pandemic. And now in the pandemic, where many, many people never have any separation from their work time and their at-home time, I think the best thing to do is give them strategies and remind them that, no, no, you really can shut off. You really can stop checking email and stop checking team messages after 5.30 or whatever time you want to shut off. And at the same time, for a lot of people, that flexibility, can be helpful. You know, my sister has an infant at home and she said, it's really important to me to spend time with a baby when the baby is awake. So I often find myself doing work from 7.30 to 9.30 every night. And her job allows her that flexibility and she likes it. Like she wants to be able to work that way. If you feel like you do need boundaries, I would say try to find those things in your routine that are already exist. Like I talked about earlier, having that cup of coffee, starting your day after the cup of coffee, same thing at night, you know, when dogs come in because they want a dog walk, that's the time to close the computer and go outside and leave work behind. There are little things you can do too, you know, sit in the same chair. If you don't have a proper desk space, sit in the same chair at your dining room table when you work and sit in a different chair when you have dinner. Sit in the armchair when you're working and want a comfy seat and sit on the couch when you're watching TV. The little things you can do just to tell your brain, this environment means work, this environment means personal time. When I'm in the spare room, the office room whatever that's work time so when you're doing your holiday shopping online go somewhere else don't do it in your workspace
0: <laughs> yeah you even said in the book to have maybe two computers i mean maybe for a lot of people that wouldn't be possible but but i, I thought it was interesting to like kind of to manage distractions and even to separate is like you know this uh, work laptop is for work and there's no you know you're not gonna be surfing facebook or instagram on there but you know your shopping and social media and your other personal stuff could go on this other computer. I thought that was pretty good um, advice.
1: You can do the same thing with um, profiles on your computer too. So you can have two separate logins. One is your work login. One is your personal login. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I've kept you a long time. And honestly, I could could keep asking you all these questions that I jotted down for you. But I'm just going to suggest people get the book, Everything Guide to Remote Work, because there's a lot of great stuff in there. And it's easy to flip around and find what you're needing to find in there. It's really laid out like a guide, which I love. I'm
1: so glad you said that.
0: Uh, What I want to end with, though, is because you've been writing about this for so long, You have this book coming out. I wanted to know what your opinion was just overall on whether, you know, people should really adopt remote work and figure this thing out. And if it's good for us long term, what do you what do you think as a society? Is this good for us? And should people do it?
1: I feel like you're asking me if I'm an optimist or a pessimist. (laughs) I
0: I am (laughs) asking you that.
1: (laughs) I, you know, I look at the history of modern work and I'm a little deflated that we haven't done more to create four day
0: work week. You same here. Yeah, I'm with you.
1: There's some good experiments. There's some good changes happening. I think recently the UAE said they were going to go down to four and a half day work week. And I think remote work is just another way that empowers us to change some of the things about work in general. That are not great, that are imbalanced, that maybe promote a very highly capitalistic society, mm-hmm. if I can mm-hmm. say that. I don't yeah, know if people course. are going to yell at me for that. But,
0: yeah, it um, is what it
1: is. <laughs> but it, it's a new opportunity to say, let's think about what we're doing and why. Why do we need to be in a meeting? Why do we need to show up at the desk? What are we trying to accomplish How much are we going to pay people to accomplish that? Exactly. So I, I hope it is a fresh opportunity for people to just think differently, wipe the slate clean and do work better.
0: I mean, you said like in a capitalistic society, I'm, I'm such a free market guy at heart. And this is part of the process of going through all this is like, here's an opportunity. Is there a better way of doing work and to make people happier, and more productive and make more money? And we all make more money as a result. I think you just have to go through this and experiment and just keep evolving and growing. I mean, I think it's just how it works as a society. That's just my opinion.
1: And I think if we can establish some really good habits in remote work that can then transform into all the jobs that can't be remote, that it could be empowering for other people too. I think if we can get away from this idea of the hours that you need to show up versus the work that needs to be done, if we can get to a place where people over-communicate all the time, not just because they're working remotely, that it will improve other workplaces as well.
0: Jill, this has been a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. I uh, so appreciated having you on. Where can people learn more about you, the book, anything that you want to point people to? And I'll make sure to put links in the show notes, course.
1: yeah so it's the everything guide to remote work i think it's a great resource no matter what stage you are in in your career or even if you're thinking about changing careers i'm on twitter at jill e duffy j-i-l-l-e-d-u-f-f-y and i'm also a writer at pcmag.com so my author bio is on that website as well
0: my guest today has been jill duffy jill it's been a pleasure thanks